a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 128 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, and please follow the show on your favorite social media outlet. Well, hello. It's been about a month and a half since the last show, and uh, I'm happy to be back doing this podcast and hopefully getting back to some sense of normalcy or at least whatever facsimile of normal is possible during this continued COVID-19 pandemic. Unfortunately... Uh, my long absence was due to a very difficult situation in our family life. Shortly after the last episode of this show, uh, which was in late September, we had actually received very encouraging news on the growth of our, at that point, unborn baby's lungs. And since then, we have been through the absolute ringer. Again, shortly after that show... My wife Sarah's water broke early, just short of 34 weeks into her pregnancy. She underwent an emergency in utero procedure to remove the experimental balloon uh, that was put in the trachea of our baby in the womb, which was designed and was helping to grow his lungs. But premature birth was a potential side effect, and we ended up having that happen in our situation. Once that was out, we were able to transfer to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonic Hospital in Minneapolis, where Sarah stayed in in their antepartum ward, which is basically a ward designed to keep women from giving birth until they're ready. And we wanted to keep that bun uh, cooking in the oven a little bit longer, but it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, she made it about a week, and our baby, Maverick Gabriel Anderson, was born on October 9th. And shortly after his birth, his vitals fell, and they had to do an emergency procedure uh, to put him on a heart-lung bypass machine called ECMO uh, to give his lungs and heart more time uh, to rest and develop so that they can start working for themselves. He stayed on this machine for nine days. He showed great improvement, and it had even gotten to the point where we were preparing for the next part of our journey. We thought we were uh, out of the most dangerous part of this battle, but things change, and he took a sudden turn for the worse, and he passed away in our arms on October 25th after a 16-day battle with uh, CDH, his condition, in the NICU. We buried him in my hometown of Fort Calhoun, Nebraska on October 31st, and since then, we have been trying to pick up the pieces the best that we can. Part of that is moving forward with things that we are both passionate about. For Sarah, that's music and teaching and being around her kids in school, which is difficult for her because they are going full distance learning. Due to COVID-19, and she has not been able to go back to school yet. And for me, that's my sportscasting career, broadcasting games, and recording this podcast. So we're going to bring the podcast back. And including this episode, I have three guest-hosted conversations uh, from friends that had volunteered to help me keep this show going before everything hit the fan. And I am going to run those for the next three episodes as I work to 
line up and bank some more traditional episodes with myself interviewing the guests. Both Sarah and I are enormously appreciative of all of the kind messages of support that we've received from everyone throughout this entire difficult process, and that includes many listeners to this podcast who have reached out to us via a call, text, social media. Um, nobody has the words to make this feel better, but they all help. It just really is very therapeutic to know that we're not alone in this. And on behalf of myself and Sarah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to everyone who did so. Today's guest host is Eric Little, who is an excellent play-by-play broadcaster from West Virginia, does a whole bunch of different work in that region. And he chats with a gentleman who he used to work with named Jay Burnham, who is a radio and TV broadcaster in New England. He does a lot of work for the University of Massachusetts and Virginia Commonwealth, among other assignments. So with that in mind... I'm going to shut up and pass it off to Eric and Jay. Hello and welcome to the Save the Damn Score podcast. My name is not Logan Anderson, and I'm not coming to you from the world-famous Save the Damn Score podcast studios in the spare bedroom and or basement of Logan's home in Burnsville, Minnesota. My name is Eric Little. I am coming to you from the production studio of V969FM. It's where I work here in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I'm a co-host of a morning show. I work for a station group that now has four stations. We just added an oldies channel here a couple weeks ago, so it's been busy. I also do play-by-play of high school football, basketball, and baseball, primarily for Parkersburg South High School, a school I've enjoyed a great relationship with over the past six-plus years. I also freelance. I've done college football for Notre Dame College. That's a Division II Mountain East school out of Cleveland, Ohio. Unfortunately, there's no fall football this year in the Mountain East Conference. We're hoping for the spring. I've also done some work for West Virginia University, and I'll be expanding that hopefully this fall or whenever things can resume to a point where there's a lot more inventory for broadcasters to take on. I'll be expanding my role with them for Big 12 Now on ESPN+. I'm looking forward to getting started with that when sports return and they're playing in the Big 12, but uh, there's just not as many games. So uh, my name might not get called as often as I'd hope for it to be in the fall or the winter, even the spring, but hopefully things will change soon. I have a high school football podcast. I even have a movie podcast. It's the Battle Remake Podcast. I host that with my friend Buzz Mead. So I stay busy. I enjoy communicating. I enjoy broadcasting. And it's not just the games and the broadcast work that I enjoy. It's the people that I meet. And that's why Logan's story stands out to me. I met Logan at a conference in Winston-Salem, and we communicated every now and then on social media. And what I admire about Logan is the way he's built Save the Damn Score into such a ubiquitous brand and a brand that has been a real resource and an asset for broadcasters and a gathering place. And right now with everything that's going on, we could all use safe gathering places and friendly places to be. And that's why I reached out to Logan after a recent episode and offered to either be a guest or to guest host a show because I know what this meant to me at a time where I needed it the most. And that's why it was important to me that in Logan's time of need, a lot of us in the broadcasting community step up and rally to help Logan. And I know the people will. As I sit and record this intro, it's been less than a week since I listened to the last episode of this podcast with guest host Chris Lewis and his guest Megan McPeak. And the conversation they had was enriching, inspiring, and powerful. I'm proud to work in an industry where people like those two also work and also have such a vast understanding of what's going on in the world, but also such talent at play-by-play. And I've never met either one of the two of them. I I hope to do so someday. But I thought they put together a an important conversation in a setting that maybe some of you out there need to hear this, and maybe some of you have friends that don't understand why it's important that we say that Black Lives Matter. And I think the sequence where Chris and Megan were talking about how it's not part of a national organization, they're simply just saying that the lives of individual people matter. If you want to clip that segment of the show and play that for your relatives, for your friends that don't buy in and don't understand why it's important we say that, Chris and Megan spelled it out as plainly, as clearly, and as eloquently as could be done. And Chris and Megan, I want to applaud you on a fantastic episode. And I'm sure Logan is also very proud to have hosted that on his platform as well. But what this program has meant to me in the last several months, you know, March when things shut down, we were all taken aback, and it was a shock to everybody. But here in West Virginia, it was cold and it was nasty, and you didn't really have time to think about what you were missing out on, even though it was March Madness, and even though it was a lot of year-end tournaments. I 
got my basketball in the day before Rudy Gobert tested positive and I was finished with my season, but I know a lot of others weren't, a lot of teams weren't, and there are a lot of dreams that will go unfulfilled. But April and May were tough months for me from a mental health standpoint. I'm not afraid to say that because there was just so much uncertainty. The weather was changing, the season was changing, but the conditioner in the world was not. We weren't getting any closer to getting sports back. We weren't getting any closer to getting back in broadcast booths. I live near a school, and near that school, there is a walking trail. And that's a walking trail I've patronized multiple times over the years. I've done a lot of thinking there. I've done a lot of soul-searching there. And recently, within the last six to seven months, one of the things I've done a lot is listen to professional development podcasts. It wasn't just about professional development. It was about going to a place in your mind where you can talk about broadcasting and talk about play-by-play and be in that place where you can remember the things that we lost, remember what we're fighting to get back to and we're hoping to get back to. And it didn't feel like listening to a professional development podcast in any of those instances. It felt like you were walking with friends and listening to friends have a conversation about something that you're very passionate about as well. I know there are a lot of you this fall that are in conferences where your fall sports are not happening or in states where high school sports are not happening to the extent to where they are in some places. I'm in a state where high school football is happening. It's weird. I did a game in the opening week where the opponent changed five hours before kickoff time. That was a different experience and one that I could maybe recap on an episode with Logan doing the broadcast horror stories. It wasn't a true horror story. It worked out, but it was definitely different than anything I've ever done before. But it's it's different here. It's weird. It, there's not a lot of people in the stands. It's a strange feeling. But I know a lot of you are in a place now where you're not doing the work that you used to be doing this time of year. And maybe you're feeling now like I was feeling in April and May. So I wanted to reach out to Logan to help him keep this going, to provide that outlet and resource. And maybe for some of you, this is a conversation that you can listen to and just enjoy taking your mind back to that comfortable and familiar place. In an era where we're trying to get back to comfortable and familiar places, I know networking is something that isn't happening a lot on a professional development level. And I'm somebody that wears my heart on my sleeve. I'm somebody that isn't afraid to say sincere things that may sound corny, but I do mean them in a sincere way. One of the things I've hoped for recently as far as getting back to normal, I would love nothing more than one day to be sitting in an establishment drinking a cold beverage with Logan Anderson. If you see the two of us in a setting down the road where we're able to do that, just know that I'm going to be in a pretty happy place and and the world's going to be in a lot better place. That's an image that I'm holding in my heart that I want to see happen, and I know that you all have similar things that you all want to see happen as well. Also, come join us because Logan's buying. My guest today is Jay Burnham, the Director of Broadcasting for the University of Massachusetts and the voice of their football and men's basketball broadcasts. Disclaimer for you, back in 2008, when I was in year one of a five-year stint in minor league baseball, I was an intern for the Asheville Tourists. I was a broadcast intern, but I was not hired by Jay Burnham, who became the number one broadcaster that year. I was hired by his predecessor, a guy by the name of Brandon Chapman, who's now, believe it or not, a city councilman in Pullman, Washington. So that's kind of cool. I found out about two weeks before I got to Asheville that Brandon had put in his two weeks notice. So all of a sudden, I'm up for the number one job. There are a few other people, one of whom is Jay Burnham, who eventually gets the job. So Jay is hired for this job and knows that he's inheriting a number two, me, that he did not hire and that did not get the job over him. So Jay and I had that to work out early on in our relationship, but we got through it. We developed a camaraderie, we developed a friendship. Uh, I'm proud to say he's one of my biggest influences in this career because so many times in my career, especially after working with Jay and working under Jay, I would ask myself, what would Jay Burnham do? How would he handle the situation? He's laid back, he's cool, he counts to 10, he doesn't freak out, he doesn't flip out. I'm an emotional person. I'm somebody that lays my heart on my sleeve sometimes when I feel I've been slighted. I don't take that easily. When you're an intern, you feel like you've been slighted a few times here and there. Jay taught me how to communicate through the proper channels with higher-ups. He taught me to be patient. He taught me to troubleshoot. He taught me to take a minute and think things through before you act. And so many other lessons that I couldn't have ever received in the way that I received them from Jay. Without anything further, welcome to the Saint the Damn Score podcast, Jay Burnham. What's happening, man? Is this This is like a first for you, right? Well, yeah, first for me guest hosting this podcast, the first for you to be a guest on this podcast. We're all in this together. Let's not ruin it then. We have pretty lofty ideals to hold up to, and somehow you and I are going to be the ones entrusted to do that. But either way, we'll do our best. Hey, as we sit down to talk, today's your wedding anniversary. How's finding the right partner helped you in life and in broadcasting? <laughs> is that is is that where we're going? Right off, right off the the shoot here i thought it would be nice to bring that up first yes oh i appreciate it um i I think it's interesting because 
you look at a lot of guys in our job and our profession and you get so locked into moving from city to city and doing, you know, 140 baseball games in the minor leagues to then college football and basketball. And there's really not a lot of time for your personal life. So uh, for me, it has been absolutely imperative to have, you know, Cheyenne with me lockstep through whatever journey this is that we're doing. I will say though, I got married September 21st, 2012, and the reason why we chose that date is not because of the earth, wind, and fire. Do you remember the 21st night of September song? It's because that was the last possible day that we could have played in the playoffs for when I was with Trenton and the Trenton Thunder AA Yankees. So looked at the schedule, said, okay, if the team goes to the playoffs and they go all the way, Sunday will be the 20th, so we'll do the 21st just to be safe. It turns out that we actually had like a game in the playoffs. We made the playoffs, won the first round, and then in the championship round had a game rained out, and they talked about actually pushing the season to beyond the final day of the season. Uh, I guess, thankfully, we lost before we got to that point, but uh, that's how we came to, to that date. So, you lost. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's huge. You lost one ring, you got another ring. and uh... <laughs> Yeah, see, it's like you've done this before or something yeah actually funny like i i've never been on a championship team i've never called a championship winning series i wanted to bring that up early on because of course you know my feelings with cheyenne cheyenne's wonderful lover to death send her my best if you would i will and happy and happy anniversary to you thank you man do you know say the damn score listeners i'm sure like are familiar with the minutia of like radio nerd technology yeah right yeah so i think one of the last championship series i did um was it was trenton against akron and we get to the final game and akron's gonna win and dave wilson who's been a long time minor league guy i think you might know him back from the south atlantic league days he charges into my booth it's like the seventh inning and this is i think this is 2011 or 12 and he goes jay my mini discs just ran out. Do you have any more? Because he needed to record the final oh my goodness. few innings for, you know, prosperity. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at him. I was like, Dave, it is 2010 and on. Like, who has mini discs, man? Like, that was an early, you know, 2000 thing. But right. luckily for him, I had that box of wires and, you know, switches and, and stuff that you carry with you from move to move to move. And uh-huh. I had, like, an old set of mini discs, and I gave it to him. As we come to you today, in addition to this being your anniversary, you're also finding out that UMass, Massachusetts, you know, where, where you're the director of broadcasting, you do football and basketball there, they're bringing back football this fall. First of all, tell us what you know. <laughs> and what, what are you expecting? What are you feeling? Man, actually, just before you called me, I was on a meeting, and my phone is like currently blowing up with text messages trying to get the – trying to get the gang back together to figure out what we're going to do. I think also that the Mac is rumored to be coming back as well. So uh, I'm sure people aren't super familiar with UMass football, but at one time they were an FCS powerhouse. They made the transition to FBS football. They were in the Mac conference for several years, um, sort of didn't really mesh there. They wanted to move all the sports over. The MAC did, and UMass said, no, we want to keep our basketball in the A-10. So they've been independent for the past few seasons, and it's been a rough go. There's no doubt about it. The cool thing about being an independent, and I don't even know if this is this might come into play now, um, is that with the pandemic that we have, teams are canceling you know, the week of. And I think we've learned that you don't have to schedule your football opponents 15 years out now, right? No. So there very well could be a situation where, you know, there's a phone call one day in mid-October, and it's a team that needs an opponent, and UMass will be there to play them. So uh, I don't know a lot. There's a ton of questions, you know, especially around broadcasting and how that'll work, um, trying to find out what other teams are doing currently. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a wild wild off season for sure there's no phone calls jay in this day and age it's swipe right or swipe left 
<laughs> that, we need like a Tinder for uh, for FBS football. Yes. Does does your FBS team need an opponent this week? Well, here's who's available, and here's how close they are. Mm, Marshall, no thanks. Uh, Western Kentucky, maybe. Eastern Kentucky, sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, what's a match? Let's go back to the start here, Jay. Uh, what was it that made you the pride of Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, want to go into broadcasting? I didn't. I don't know. Do you think a lot of people, like, set out to be a broadcaster? I did. <laughs> well, then, yeah. I could. <laughs> of um, course, who didn't? I grew up in a small town. My high school was uh, nine different towns in western Massachusetts, and the graduating class was 90 kids. And I looked around and said, I need to get as far away from here as possible, man. Um, <laughs> and so I ended up going to school for two semesters at Hawaii Pacific University, which is in Honolulu. And this is like right at the beginning of the Internet boom, where if you didn't make a ton of money off the Internet, which obviously I don't fall into that category, but a lot of people did at that time, you could really take advantage of listening to almost every radio station across the country when they started streaming. And that included sports before they started packaging the audio, um, the audio streams until like the NFL package or the MLB package. So when I was out in Hawaii, a six hour time difference while I was studying and doing work and, you know, drinking beers, I would put the game on, you know, first would be the Red Sox to go to WEI.com. And then you're like, well, this is kind of cool. This is not like late nineties. I'm going to try to listen to St. Louis or, you know, California. So throughout the day, I could listen to almost every single market and check in on a baseball game. And I thought that was so cool. And I thought it was something that I might be able to pursue. And I think that's when I started thinking about it for real and saying, okay, well, how am I going to, how am I going to make that happen? I ended up transferring to Elon university in North Carolina and, you know, they didn't even broadcast. They're big on communications, but they didn't really broadcast their baseball games. And then my senior year, I'm, I'm sitting in the, the you know, leadership um, guidance office. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to be a baseball announcer. And they didn't really have a lot of answers for me. <laughs> I put you into like, patch me through to the baseball announcer um, desk. Okay. So I just emailed a ton of people, man. And that was at the beginning of email where people would actually respond if you kind of spammed them. And that's how I got my start into minor league baseball, which was an unpaid internship in Hagerstown, Maryland. I think a lot of people look at college from a broadcast standpoint, and really in a lot of majors, kind of like the fast food clamshell. You know, you, you bring down the clamshell grill and the burger pops out. People go into college and, and they want to be an accountant. They want to be a broadcaster. They want to be a physical therapist, a speech pathologist. And then they just expect to magically shoot out on the other side, and there they are. But you took work into that. That took work to go send all those emails and, and to reach out to people. Yeah, the thing was, like, I can, I'll can i never forget, my dad came to visit me my first year in Hagerstown, and I wasn't making any money. <laughs> um, I was working in the concession stands, and like he was really proud that I was working in baseball. And I, I did see a look in his because I didn't do any broadcasting that first year. I was just trying to get a foot in the door. And I'm um, folding hot dogs in the, the tinfoil wrappers and, you know, making nachos and pouring drinks. And I, I, I think I saw the look in his eye. He was like, I'm paying for college. For this. <laughs> you know? um, but I actually had to go through two reiterations of that. Then another unpaid internship to get me some on-air experience. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Like, and I don't know how many people are interested in like hearing like the details of my story, but there's a couple different levels of like broadcasting, right? You can be the guy that sounds like he's a network announcer. And I think a lot of those guys get identified early and like, well, damn, that guy sounds like an announcer. Like, let's put him through. Uh, let's fast track his career. And, you know, a lot of the guys that I know that have kind of toiled where we are in the minor leagues and, you know, now, um, division one college athletics. It's the experiences that you've had. This is going to sound cheesy. The experiences that you've had that kind of make who you are. And it's things that you can call upon to make your broadcasting better because you've lived through those experiences. That's kind of how I see it. It might sound cheesy, but sometimes those things are also true. The phrase meteoric rise gets thrown out there a lot. But do people tend to forget that that's the minority? Most people do not do that. And more people than not kind of grind things out and have to work hard and have to rise to the levels. Do people get deterred because of the fact that their career is not taking off as quickly as they would like it to? 
Yeah, I think they do, but I don't think they get deterred because they want to. They're going to give up. I think they get deterred because there's just no money. Like it's hard yeah. to live, and it's hard to meet your wife and you know take her out to dinner when you're making eleven hundred dollars a month over the course of six months with no health care. Like that's where you hit the roadblock, right? Calling a game in the major leagues would be first and foremost a, a huge career achievement that I hope to one day reach. But more importantly than that was how can I do this for a living and like actually live? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like right. how do I not have to fold my mattress up into my nineteen eighty nine Toyota Tercel and like go to the next market and, you know, throw that mattress on the floor and sleep for another, you know, three months while I'm working my butt off at the ballpark. Like how can you get to the point where we actually like have that work life balance? which I think now is something that people talk a lot more about than they did, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, and I'm, I'm happy that that's the case. You're just expected to deal with it back then. And back then it was a 68 Carmen Ghia. It was not a Toyota Tercel. <laughs> that's true. It was a, yeah, 68 Robin Egg Blue Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. Thanks for remembering. It's a beautiful car. I've been in it a few times. I used to have to push it a few times. I was lucky that I didn't. No, I think I did. <laughs> I think I did at least once. At least once I pushed that yeah. thing. From Hagerstown, a place you and I both share in common, you went on to work in independent ball with the Pensacola Pelicans before coming to the South Atlantic League. Did you always want to cross over into affiliate ball once you got into independent ball, and did you find it hard to do so? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if you remember, like, the good old days of Internet chat boards. We had um, <laughs> Joe Taco was at uh, Call the Game. Yeah. .com yeah. And uh, the STA guys reading those stories about how hard it was to cross over from independent ball to affiliated ball. In hindsight, I'll say this. Like, I think the biggest thing that I would give myself in terms of advice would be to, like, promote myself more, try to get myself out there, send my stuff out to agents and that kind of thing. And then, two avoid taking that full-time job for as long as possible to allow you to be able to do more college athletics through through baseball because i think you get kind of locked in as a full-time employee where you don't make still don't make a ton of money but it deters you from doing some of the other stuff that you probably should be doing to to get yourself prepared to be a better broadcaster but when i was in pensacola man um our closest affiliate to play or our closest team to play was shreveport Louisiana, which was, I think, a six-hour drive. Our furthest opponent was El Paso, Texas, which is a 24-hour bus drive. And the road trips would be like nine, ten days. But, you know, I'm early 20s. This is great. You know, you're hanging out with the guys. You're having fun. And I was actually making pretty decent money in Pensacola. The owner of that team, the independent team, this is interesting, now owns the affiliated team in Pensacola, Clint Studer. Nice. So, like, I never actually – like for three years I was there and I never considered trying to leave because I got paid well and I got, I, I had a free place to stay. <laughs> so it was great, man. But sometimes you have to like, you have to break it down before you can build it back up. And they actually just cut the position one year. And that's what left me to scramble to try and find another job. In hindsight, although I was pretty pissed at the time when it happened, that's what led me to get the job in Asheville because I had a connection in the South Atlantic League with the guy who first answered my email in Hagerstown, the guy by the name of Will Smith, who's been one of my best friends throughout this whole process and throughout my life. And that's where I met my wife and, uh, and you. And so I think it turned out to be pretty good. You inherited this plucky number two broadcaster, and you met your... I didn't even hire your ass. They just gave me to you. Well, I know. that, that That's kind of what I was going to go for. You were hired two weeks for the start of the season. You inherited me, and we had to kind of build a rapport. What allowed you to kind of work through all of that and not just survive, but you thrive there? Yeah. You know, one of the bigger problems, too, and this is something that I think a lot of guys at the minor league level recognize, is that you're trying to broadcast, but your job also depends on running the website or doing the marketing and doing the sales. And I had like pretty much, I think they told me like I had to sell, you know, say a hundred thousand dollars in advertising. Right. And that's difficult in any market, let alone like trying to just like get everything lined up, organized. So I don't know, man, like it's just one of those things where you just spend every waking hour focused on it. And yeah, I think too, at that point in your career, when you're still young and like you, you have someone else like yourself, that kind of pushes you to be better and to try and like continually work on your craft and try to make things as smooth as possible. And I think that's kind of 
what happened in Asheville. And actually the guy, like Asheville is such a great place. Mm-hmm. You know, this when I left, I, I hired Doug Maurer. This was in 2009 and he's still there. Yeah. To give you an idea of how good that place is. He loves it. Um, yeah. I think it was fortunate for me to be able to like, when I look at the markets that I've been in, there's some bad ones in this, in this business, you know, like usually if you're a weatherman, your first job is like somewhere in Bozeman, Montana, or no, not to disparage the great outdoors of Montana. Hey, disparage, hey, disparage not, Parkersburg, West Virginia. I'm sitting in one of those I, first okay, markets. I will. Parkersburg, West Virginia. <laughs> um, you know, like, and I had to take my, my first double A job was in Trenton, New Jersey. And I had just started, you know, dating Cheyenne and I'm like, you know, Hey, like this is at the peak of the Jersey shore phenomenon. Yeah. Do you want to move to Trenton with me? (laughs) Fortunately, she said yes, but it's not exactly a destination spot. Right. She owned a home there too, if I'm not mistaken. In Asheville. Yeah. 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 Apologies for WTAP in Parkersburg, just to throw that out there. But yeah, you were able to, to, to make that move and to go on to thrive there. And it can be tough to find ways to develop yourself in the minor leagues. Like you said, you want to call the boss and ask if I can go do this basketball game on Saturday. Well, we're doing our national anthem tryouts and we really were hoping you could be there for that. <laughs> yep. or, or we have this fan fest that's coming up. And, you know, I know it's ESP and three money, but I don't know. That's going to cut into that. How did you balance the work involved with getting better as a broadcaster while also being a good team player and a good employee? I think the problem that you come across and I, I think I heard an interview um, with Joe Davis about how he helped himself become a better broadcaster while he was in Montgomery. Is he listened to his games afterwards and write down kind of what you can do better, how you can use your words in a more poignant fashion. I think when you're at the ballpark, 8.30 in the morning till 11 or 12 at night, for those that don't know, you know, we're in Asheville. We're picking up trash after the end of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will be able to – relate to that or you know you're trying to update the website and get the marketing out for the next series like you just get so exhausted that you stop you stop trying to be a better broadcaster and you're just trying to like get through the season right you know one of the things i always 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 try to do and the first thing i did when i got hired as my first full-time job in pensacola when xm radio just started coming out i bought the portable xm radio and I could listen to every single major league baseball game while traveling. And I would just try to go to sleep listening to, you know, every different broadcast possible and taking different cues from guys or just even trying to like get the syntax down of, of how, you know, John Miller describes a, you know, a high fastball, like the, the, his lilting kind of, you know, adios, Pelosa. like, you know, he's got this, this, this cadence to him. And so not smooth. trying to steal what guys say, I think, is most important. Because what you say should be your own. But how to deliver and when to use the excitement. And so I, I would try to kind of just mirror that framework and then plug in things that are rele- relevant to myself. That might be the best breakdown I've ever heard of when and how you listen to other broadcasters and what you do with that knowledge. Because everyone's yeah. like, you should listen to other guys and get ideas. But I think that might be the best breakdown I've ever heard of just how that is applied into what you do and into your approach. You're not so much younger than I, but you remember nothing was bigger than Sports Center oh, as yeah. a kid. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we're talking Dan Patrick and Craig Kilborn. I know Sports Center is still a thing, but I don't think people, they don't Stuart Scott it the way that, you know, we used to. No. And when you get into broadcasting, you're like, I'm going to say all this, like, cool as the other side of the pillow type of stuff. And I quickly was like, well, this is, this is dumb. Like, I can't, this is play by play. It's different than, you know, highlight real stuff. And then shtick. Um, yeah, shtick. And plus, you just, you don't have the cachet to be able to say it. Like, if you took John Sterling's tape and sent it to the Lexington legends, they'd probably laugh you out of the room of like what he says, right? right? Like they wouldn't hire you because you sound like you kind of sound like a clown Mm -hmm. until you have that clout. Then you, you go from clown to, you know, revered personality. I think the other thing people try, try to do is you try to sound almost too smart or too didactic or, you know, you talk it down to your audience a little bit. So one of the things like I've always tried to do, I keep a running tab on my phone and I don't follow sports as much, like I think a lot of people in our industry do. But when I'm reading a book, 
I'll write a word or something that I think will sum up four or five words into one word. I actually, I think one of the best things, one of the biggest accomplishments of my career is when I started doing VCU games on TV, our color commentators, John Feinstein, who obviously yeah. I think, you know, everybody knows like revered writer and author in the sports world. I had a word that I was going to use for a big slam dunk and I like had filed it away. I was like, all right, this is going to be good. I pulled it from a, from a book that I read. Moali Cox actually just had a hundred yard receiving game for the Indianapolis Colts with their power forward. And I said, Moali Cox with a stentorian slam, which is a loud, like aggressive action, a stentorian action. <laughs> and John Feinstein turned to me on air and he goes, stentorian, great word. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like that's the best thing that I've ever done in my life outside of like meeting my wife. I don't know how you did the rest of the game after that, at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the rest of the game sucked. Like, one of the things I really envy people, and this is just awkward, like, talking about yourself. I, you know, it's just, like, people that have the self-confidence to be able to, to think everything that they've – every game is a great game and a great call. Right. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, I, I second-guess after every game. I'm like, man, I – that was no good. <laughs> I'm not someone that I want to be in a vehicle with after games, and it's not because I'm yeah. it's not because I'm angry. It's because I'm usually brooding. What I find is that when I go back and listen, a lot of times the games that I was not happy with were not as bad as I thought they might be. And then on the occasion where I am happy, where I nailed a few things, I'll go back and listen, and it never seems to be as good as I remembered it being. Maybe that's the lesson in that. My, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. To that exact point, my first year in Hagerstown, the first time I was able to really ever get on air, uh, every Friday, they would call the game from the beer garden, mm -hmm. all right? So down the left field line, they'd had a little setup, and they'd call the game. And the GM, Kurt Landis, who's now in Lehigh, wanted each inning, each half inning, to have a fan on. And you're in the beer garden, so, like, clearly that's, that's not it, a great concoction. Of, in in, in Hagerstown, Maryland. Yes. Yeah. They actually might have been on Thursday, which was Thursday, Thursday. So either way, drunk fan, broadcaster, and John Michael was the number two radio broadcaster. And John Michael is now the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he was an unpaid, like struggling former lawyer. And he told me, he goes, hey, we're going to get you on air because he knew I wanted to do some on-air stuff. He's like, come down to the beer garden and find someone to cover for you in the concession stand. Come down. We'll do a half inning, and then we'll listen to it back, you know, the next day. And sure enough, like, I came down. I had all my notes, you know, like 1,700 pages of notes for a you know, right. half inning calling you from the beer garden. Right. And he told me that same thing. We sat in the car the next day, and he listened to his half inning and what he was doing and then played it back, and he goes – it's never as bad as you think it is, and it's never as good as you think it is. And that sort of stuck with me just to kind of echo the point you just made. And someone that always wants to brood over the things that went wrong, not even the things that I did wrong. I mean, especially if you're running the show yourself, like, uh -huh. you know, and you got to send out tweets and you got to, you, you know, one of the more frustrating things about being in minor league baseball for so long wasn't the fact that every single day of your summer was spoken for or that you had to work 18 hours a day. It was if you're on a, a, the road in Harrisburg and something goes wrong or you have a friend that shows up to watch the game and they want to go out and have dinner afterwards and you're like, okay, sure, it's going to take me another two and a half hours to write right. the story, update the website, like, you know, get everything in line for tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, being able to handle those things that go wrong and still be dialed in, I think, is, is hard. And it's a necessity. Well, those are always the days that you go extra innings. I mean, ask Eric Jarenko and I how many times we had to go out after extra innings in Greenville. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's the 15th inning, but I think we can still make it, you know. Yeah, what time's the, what, what time's the kitchen closed? Yeah. yeah, that conversation happened a few times. Let's look at building relationships because you might be somebody that is more adept than anyone I've ever known at building relationships and finding common ground. People take a look at networking as kind of a mechanical approach in this industry, I think. They look at it like they're checking boxes off a list. What makes you so good at finding that common ground with people in this industry and building a relationship with them? Wow, man. Thanks for saying that. appreciate it. I don't know. I think I could do a better job of actually like reaching out to more people. I think I don't do that enough to try and enhance my career, but... That's fine. Like, I don't try to do that. I don't know, like, 
go out and have a beer with somebody, man. (laughs) And, and listen to them. You know, I think obviously now, now even more so in today's day and age, it's hard to, to get on board with some people. (laughs) Yeah. But I think one of the things I've done is I've been able to find people in my life that aren't all about themselves. And if you're not all about yourself, then like you're someone I want to be around, be a part of. It's always interesting to me when people don't take the approaches to networking that you would take just with making friends. They look at it like it's such a mechanical thing. Like I have to send this email out and email four other of my friends because it's what I need to do. Not just because I want to check in on these people as people, yeah, but because I, feel yeah. like I have to and do I think, it. And I think it's it's really telegraphed nowadays. Like, I, look, I'll respond to anybody that emails me. Like, right. if, if you've emailed me over the years, like, just asking for. Like, I know people ask for advice, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm the guy to give you advice because I'm making $26,000 a year, you know, in Trenton, New Jersey or whatever. A lot of people in this world that are in a position of authority and power don't know what they're doing. Right. (laughs) The secret is none none of us really know what we're doing in life at all. Yeah, I think you got to take that in heart, too. Like, I sent a resume out, and no one even responded. And you're like, but the person that's fielding those you know, resumes, they don't know the nuance of you. Maybe someone wants your funny home run call. Maybe someone wants to hear how you handle a sponsor. Like you do not know what the person on the other end is looking for. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's why something of this industry is like, well, you got to go with Joe because there's Steve, because he knows he's the, he's your guy. And then before the opening is even really felt out, it's already closed right. for some of these jobs. So if you do know of an opening and you have an in, by all means, use that to, to learn about what that person is like and what they might want out of an applicant. Yeah, nothing beats just knowing somebody, period, right? I, I think almost all of my jobs have just been get I've been able to get them because I've known somebody in the process of hiring certainly helps and 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 i think i'm very much the same way in my career but just the things that allow you to make friends in real life those also apply to networking you can't ask people to dinner you can ask people to go have a drink after a game and and i think the key thing you said was the l word you said listen i think like too especially again a young broadcaster you're competitive and and you want to be ahead of the other guys and i always took it as the other way like i want to go out and meet the other broadcasters and get to know them. And because when you're in their, you know, you're in their town, like they're your guest or you're their guest. And there's some, like, I don't know if Tim Hyman and Binghamton is a friend of mine because we went out for beers or because I let him use my 98 Volvo to go run errands while he was in Richmond. Like, I don't know, but those are your peers, not your competitors. And I I don't know if, I, I think a lot of people think that way, but I don't know if they all do. Well, that's what we can name a lot of these people. How about Andy Barch? How about Andrew Buckbinder, Mike Passanisi, Danny Reed, people that you and I have both hosted and been hosted by? Great group. Yeah. Those are some fine people right there. <laughs> and, and, and they had better appreciate the fact that we just name dropped them on this podcast. <laughs> every, every last one. Yeah. I, I think if you ask a lot of people about like the minor league baseball fraternity, um, I think this is where it comes from, where when you see the big league jobs open up, you want a major league team to hire a minor league guy, no Mm. matter who it is. Yep, 100%. Because of what you know your collective suffering and, you know, your collective work has been to get to that point. Um, And that's where everyone's, I think, rooting for for them, somebody to hire from the lower levels, and it doesn't always happen that way. It's a win for all of us. Even if, even yeah. if we don't know them. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, that guy spent three years in Memphis. Great. Like, he's seen some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Well, you eventually left Trenton and went to Richmond to work with the Flying Squirrels. And while you were there, you started doing more freelance with colleges. And that's really what transitioned you into the phase of the career you're in now. What opened the doors for you to start going into that freelance and into the streaming? And what did you learn from diversifying what you do? Because prior to that, mm. you really were just a baseball guy and had done mostly baseball. Yeah, and I didn't really care about doing anything else, to be honest, uh, just because you get through the baseball season, you're like, all right, great, now I can relax. But that, I was looking for a way to go back out with my wife. And Richmond was one of the probably top 10 minor league towns or towns that have a minor league team 
I'd say maybe top five. And I still consider it home, even though I had to take like an 80% pay cut in a seasonal job just to, to do it. I knew it was going to be worthwhile um, because of the staff that was there, Parney and Chuck Domino and a lot of those guys that had been through the, the wars right. and also their relationship with a lot of the other universities, a lot of the universities in the area. So um Mainly, it began out of necessity, E. Little, because I needed, I needed the money. Yeah. So if it was, you know, I'm 30 years old, or 30, I was 30 years or 32 years old, and I had been doing minor league baseball for over a decade, and I needed to do a field hockey PA job for VCU just to get the 45 or 35 bucks or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I started working with those guys. And then it slowly evolved into women's basketball, then men's basketball. And then I was, um, I got contacted by Longwood, which is about an hour drive. And they wanted me to do some of the games. I was like, all right, I'll do all your home games on TV. So that sort of set that in motion. Um, and then, you know, my broadcast partner and really good friend, John Laser, was announced as the voice of Virginia Tech. So, as he got established there, he got me involved with some of their sports and the ACC network getting online. So now at the end of the baseball season, I've got 40 events lined up, women's basketball, men's basketball, soccer that I'm doing. And you're starting to really spread yourself out and you're almost just working every single day to the point of exhaustion. And as like that transition started to take place, I was thinking about a way where if I, I, I really wanted to get a job as uh, the voice of the university because money's better, the hours are better, the just the overall setup is, is more conducive to the work-life balance that we talked about. Right. And then that's when the UMass thing opened up where, you know, another good friend of mine, Josh Maurer, had this job for 10 years and he got me involved with the Pawtucket Red Sox. And so, like, yeah, I guess you look at it and it's all those connections that, you had built over your career. It just goes to show you what it can do for you if you treat people well and if those same people are in need at a time and you can help them fill that void. And I will say this. I know there's people that are like, well, I need a power five job or, you know, I need to be one of the top in the industry. And, you know, uh, being at UMass, I've seen my mom and my brother more in the last, I've only been here full time for a year. Yeah. I've seen my family more than I had in the previous 15 years. I don't doubt it. And that, that to me is worth something too. Let's see, you've always looked at it, like you said, with Asheville, like you said with Richmond. The thing is, is the cities. You've always looked at it as, where am I going to live? And I think in the broadcast industry, we forget that sometimes. We forget that this isn't all that unlike a lot of other job searches. And when you're looking for a job, you should look for somewhere where you want to be. Yeah, and I think one of the pitfalls that we have, and I think we all had it, was like, well, I'm in single A, and I need to be in double A. And then you're like, I'm in double A, I need to be in triple A. Right. And you're like, well, I mean, it's up to you, right? But is Charleston, West Virginia, or Charleston, South Carolina? Like, which one do you prefer? I live in West Virginia, and I'll tell you which one I prefer, and it's not the one that's an hour <laughs> down the road for me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that wasn't a fair comparison, because no, it was South Carolina no. One of the great cities in oh my goodness. the country. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is. But, yeah, it's like, okay, well, do you want to be in Rochester or do you want to be in Richmond? Right. I don't know. I'll tell you, like, Austin, Texas or Richmond. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd take those two over most of the other. So you start to think about level versus, like, region or where you want to be. And I think that's where you get to kind of a you, – you get you get miserable because mm-hmm. you just keep thinking, man, I should be I should be at the next level. Like, Dude, when I was in Asheville, like, and I, I would go back if you, t- if you told me, like, hey, you got to move back here tomorrow. I'd be like, all right, like, yeah. here I go. <laughs> but I think when you get in that mindset of, like, I need to get the next thing constantly, then you become a miserable person to be around. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've all been there, man. Like, I think a lot of people have been there. Are you a fan of The Office? Oh, absolutely. Andy Renard in the series finale? We would always talk about Cornell when he was with Dunder Mifflin, and then he goes to Cornell, and he was always talking about Dunder Mifflin. He says, you know, yes. I wish there was a way yeah. of knowing that you were in the good old days while you were still living them. <laughs> yeah. It ranked, it ranked true for me. Appreciate the people and the places that you're around at that time. Yeah, no doubt, man. Go ahead. I guess, like, since this is the Say the Damn Score podcast, this thought just popped in my head, too. Yeah. Like, we, I think we overanalyze what the listener gives a damn about. Right. Like, I think there's 
there's probably a group or a generation of people that get into radio broadcasting that don't really listen to the radio. I mean, nowadays you obviously stream everything and it could be a dying, dying industry altogether. Say the damn score. I think that's what people care about the most. And all the minutia and nuance that we talk about is probably just like a 5% concern for people. Like yeah. people are like, Oh, he's got a good voice. And they think your home run call is funny. And you said the damn score. Like, all right, great. Everybody from the fans that are listening to your board op back at the station will all appreciate you better if you do exactly that, though. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we all know the tricks. You got the egg timer, right? Or yep. whatever. Just, just got to say it. Like baseball is more of a, you know, you're painting your fence in the backyard than during the summer. Like you're just kind of white noise. Uh-huh. I think basketball and football even more so. Basketball and football, you're in the car and you're, you're somewhere where you can't be watching a television. And yes. And you're you're able to kind of drift off as you drive and have that picture painted in front of you. But you're right. I have painted multiple things while listening to baseball games in the summertime. That is a yeah. that's a very literal example for me. And you know, it's it's also concerning when you see some of these teams. And I don't know, COVID related. I think a lot of people will make an excuse to create a budget cut, even though they'll take government money to then backfill that budget that just been uh, decimated. But I think I saw one of the NBA teams was going to converge their yeah, see, TV broadcast and they're, they're going to simulcast it on the radio. See Orlando Magic. And yeah, Orlando. Yeah. And you're just like, what the scenario that you just described in the name of this podcast, say that M score, you don't say the score when you're doing a TV. Right. As much. You don't say it because it's right there. Yeah. You have to talk less on television, and it's not the right. same job. I think when you're doing the streaming outlets, I think that's a lot of the problem the people that have only streamed are having, is they don't have the, the tools to do the play-by-play for what radio needs, but then they struggle to go from that to television. What would be your advice if you're looking to transition to that? Did you have trouble not saying the score? I, yeah, absolutely. I looked at a lot of like the resumes and demos that I get from kids, and I think that was the one thing that I would be cr- – not critical about that. I just let them understand. Yeah, you're you're calling a game on a stream. What is it? <laughs> is it that? Yeah. Is it radio? Is it TV? And I think we kind of got caught up in this like transition where we don't really know. You know, when I was starting out, there was no way to get any TV whatsoever. Like you had to start on radio. Like you couldn't just be on TV. So learning to say less, and then you learn, and then it's hard to go back. I think like if you do a basketball game on TV, unless you're just really smart, and I know a lot of. People in the broadcasting are just more talented and better at this than than I. You do game on TV, you know, it's, you know, Williams for three. In basketball, there's two paragraphs that you could say to set up that three-pointer for Williams. And so when you do it on TV and then you have to go, say, on the road and do a basketball game on radio, like, you have to then flip that switch to go back into that mode and vice versa if you're then doing it on, on TV. That's hard. A lot of those jobs are like that nowadays, and I'm not, I'm not sure the people realize that, where that voice of the team is on an ESPN3 platform during the home games, and then they'll go back to being that radio broadcaster on the road. And you're right, you have to flip a switch. Yeah, I mean, we got that here, and which is great because our, our games are in 11 million homes on Nesson for basketball when the national networks don't pick them up, and so I'll do those games, and then... You know, when we go on the road, we're on the WEI affiliate of Western Mass, and that's me. So, like, I think it does give you an ability to maybe create a better connection with your fan base where they kind of see you a little bit more. More people watch than listen. I think that's obvious. It allows you to kind of build that repertoire and that, build that relationship with your with your fan base, which obviously, especially in college athletics, is huge. One thing that you've always done well when it comes to building your relationship with a fan base, you're good at informing the listener or the viewer without condescending to them. Do you think the fact that your parents are both teachers, is that what makes you good at this? Because you've always been very good at delivering factual information without condescending to somebody. And and is that where people make mistakes? Where do they make mistakes when it comes to their relationship with the listener or the viewer? I don't know, man. How about this? Do you know everything about the game of baseball? No. But you've seen a lot of baseball. Sure. There's a game that I would call, and I don't know if this is, like, this might not be the right way to, to do it. I think a lot of people will try to kind of fake it till you make it or fake it so you get through it. Or for some people, fake it till you get exposed. Yeah. But even then, you're just like, you just move on. You don't address, like, something that weird that's happening in a game. Right. 
Um, even baseball, which I've, you know, done thousands of games. There's times where I just bring out the rule book and for myself to read, <laughs> to understand the rule, you know, I'll read the rule on air. Like, Hey, this is what they're talking about. Yep. Um, it's crazy to think that everyone knows all the rules. Like even the umpires get it wrong, <laughs> like, especially at, you know, the lower levels. I've, re- I've read from and the rule book verbatim on the air. Yeah. Because you're giving the listener the exact language. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the telling the listener that you don't know everything. You've not seen that before. Yeah. I think that's it. Like maybe this is the difference between being a, a great national broadcaster and being a guy who just does minor league baseball is that you can zip that stuff off the top of your head, you know, 10 times out of 10. True. But again, is that where people make mistakes? Do they forget that they're having a conversation with somebody rather than just spouting things at them? Yeah, maybe. You know, I think especially in baseball recently, one of the the themes I've seen on the Internet is people that call the games that just hate the games. (laughs) They they hate the game of baseball because it's slow and it takes too long. And I feel like maybe I got into that trap sometimes after those long days working, you know, 16, 18 hours. Like, sound like you're you're having fun and you want to be there. Mm-hmm. And two guys that want to step off the mound a billion times at a 2 p.m. game in Hickory, North Carolina, but it's 95 degrees and, and there are 30 <laughs> people there. We've all been at a few of those. And maybe there's ways that you entertain yourself, right? Like, okay, how do you incorporate different things? You know, one of the things that I really like doing that I sort of got away from, but at the end of the games, you know, I do the haiku, right? So oh, the haiku. We'd have uh, – you know, reading from a, a book on haikus because uh, 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 I spent some time in Japan and someone gave me a book on the baseball haikus. And then the fans would get involved, right? So then I start emailing in. We had a couple fans, our good buddies, Dorman and Pam and Cliff Feingold. They'd bring up uh, the paper to the radio booth at the end of the game and right. hand me the haiku that was responding to what happened in the game, and they would listen to it in the car ride home. Um, so I don't know, they'd like, and I, the more you engage people that way, especially when you're at the lower levels, I think it's great. Yeah, I think you're right. You have to find ways to engage people and make them care about you. And, and also, we're, we're dropping the names of people that will probably listen to this. So for what it's worth. But, like, if I go, if they interview me for the Texas Rangers job, and I'm like, well, hey, get this. I do haikus. Like, <laughs> you're really got it. You're really going to want to hire me, like. <laughs> I'd probably get laughed out as that like nerd who does haikus. Like, so <laughs> you have to be like, I think you have to be like just a balanced person in life. Yeah. That you are more than just like, you know, sports nerd. Walker, Texas Ranger. That's it. That's my, that's, that's my haiku today. Be different <laughs> Texas Rangers because they don't have to be three, five, three. That's what people okay. mess up. You're changing the rules on me. I thought they didn't have yeah. to be three five three. Yeah, yeah. Five seven um, five. Sorry. Five seven five. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you got back to Massachusetts. You, you're able to see your mom, your brother after being gone for so long. Was it tough to settle back in? And 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 how are things at UMass right now, other than hectic? Apparently, gonna play football. So yeah, <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting to see because everywhere I've been. They say, like, we don't have the resources to do X, Y, Z. But people that have the resources don't always know that they've got the resources. Like, we've got enough stuff, enough people, enough staff pending furloughs and whatnot to do a good amount of what now today is being called for, which is content, right? Yeah. So being the being the voice of the school isn't enough. you got to be the guy who does a lot of different things and, you know, showcases those on social media. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the, one of the interesting things that has allowed me to kind of grow in this position is, okay, well, what are your video editing skills? Like what are your after effects skills? Like, can you create a package start to finish and send that out because you have a small staff in 21 different sports. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that like I've gravitated towards to try and really learn as like technology starts to pass me by as I approach the age of 40, being that kind of universal face of the university. So people like just, that's what they associate it with. I think that's one of the reasons why they, they made this position what it is, which is a full-time job um, with the, with the athletics department. Used to be that person would host the coaches show and would 
prep for the game, and that was about it. Now you're maybe doing a podcast. Maybe you're on a yeah. radio show. Maybe you're doing something for the video board on game day. Maybe you're doing something for Twitter or Instagram. It's kind of the equivalent of if you ever like if you ever talk to an old time yeah old timer someone who's been in this business longer than I, and they'll be like, yeah, I do the coaches show and I do the game and I prep for the game and like that's my job. Right. It's almost like talking to someone from forty years ago who's like, oh, you went to Penn State, I went to Penn State and it cost me fifty bucks a semester. Like <laughs> right, it's right. Just, it's the same thing, but it's not. It's not at all. The job has evolved, and and just look at how a lot of people do it. Really, that's a, a, good, a good bit of advice going forward, I would say, right? Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. You're one of the biggest craft beer connoisseurs I know. What makes a good craft beer? Mm. Well, don't you want to ask, like, the best craft beer city is? I know that. It's Asheville. Well, you know, I think Richmond's giving it a run for, for its money. Asheville's become a little commercialized. You'd be disappointed. A little bit, you know. The InBev people bought Wicked Weed, and, you know, you lose some of your craft status there. Yeah. I'm a seasonal craft beer drinker, right? Yeah. So right now, a good Oktoberfest is like oh, chef's kiss, right? Mm -hmm. But then in three months, really heavy winter stout, and then you turn into the, you know, the spring beers and some beers. So, like, that's kind of what I evaluate on. But uh, I'm more of a traditional, like, nowadays you get – like everything's in a four pack and it's a hazy IPA. Um, but give me like an old school West coast Dale's pale ale or Sierra Nevada and have it live up to the BJCP beer judge certification program standards where it's like, that's what that beer is supposed to taste like. That's my, that's my like go-tos. I want to ask you this too, your favorite place for an outdoors adventure, both in Massachusetts and anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah, we love to hike. So <laughs> any place. But the beauty of being in Richmond is that it's got a river that runs right through the heart of the city. And there's a lot of little spots that you can kind of hike to and check out. So I think that in terms of like being able to be outdoors, but also be in the city setting is almost unmatched. I can't answer that question. Sorry. But that would be like my, my first instinct. That's a fun answer. Yeah. I also like city settings where you feel outdoorsy. I know Columbus, Ohio is one that's got a lot of yeah, green space yeah, near the yeah. river. People, I've never been to Columbus, so people like are really high on it, mm -hmm. uh, despite the fact that it's you know Ohio State. Yeah, it's got a lot else going for it. Yeah, this is th this is very true. This is a Logan <laughs> Anderson final question, and I always ask okay. this for Logan since it's his podcast. Give me a broadcast horror story, you know, where you showed up to the venue and something oh, was wrong. Equipment broke down, and knowing you, <laughs> I know you've got some doozies. Oh, I've got like a thousand of those, man, but I'll give you my first one. Okay. We're in Pensacola, Florida. I'm ready to get started. The team is going to start on the road in Jackson, Mississippi. And broadcasters, like early 2000s, late 90s, we used to carry like as much equipment as possible. I'm talking like a thousand foot uh, phone cord, like couplers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You were ready for every every situation. Uh-huh. And my radio engineer, like at the station that they were on, I have to engineer it myself from the ballpark. But I'm asking about, like, connections and Internet and stuff, and they're like, don't worry. They will have Internet there. They will have phones there, whatever. So we get to Jackson, Mississippi. It's opening day, and I'm trying to connect, and I just can't. Internet. Not there. Phone, no outline. Used to have to dial nine or play around with it to figure out like what your dial out would be. Yeah. And we're getting like close to first pitch. I can't, I can't do it. And I'm like, I got to find some help. And you know, everyone's busy on opening day. It's a small staff anyway. And I found a GM who, if I looked him up, maybe looks different now than in my head, but I'm talking like six, four barrel chested tobacco juice like dripping down his goatee just like an absolute lifer in independent baseball yeah and i was like sir <laughs> i can't connect for the radio broadcast and he turns and looks at me i want to say he took a spit and he goes if you think i'm paying for your fucking long distance phone call you're out of your god mind <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh shit. 
they don't have long distance here. And so fortunately, like a couple that were in line for tickets had like heard him say that. And they saw the like look of despair on my face <laughs> and they drove me to a gas station where I could buy some of the uh, calling cards, which is another thing of the past. Yeah. And make that outbound phone call to get the game on the air. <laughs> I'd already done a season in Hagerstown. Like I thought I knew what I was doing. Like I was ready for every occasion. I had my phone lines and everything. And, and it was just like that thing I overlooked. And from then on out, like I set up a 1-800 number for our broadcast, like up until they stopped offering like 1-800 numbers yeah. to dial to a line. We used to have that here at my home company. We had to dial in on a 1-800 number for the exact same reason. That guy sounds yeah. like he's at a central casting. Oh, my goodness. He is. I want to find a picture of him. I'll send it to you for the show notes. But, oh, my God. The fear of like what he said then, I was like, I'm not going to get on air. An expletive certainly raises the, the tension. Does it not? <laughs> Does it yeah. not? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm toast. Yeah, I I can imagine. I've heard a lot of episodes of this podcast with Logan, and that's up there uh, on the best horror stories. That's that's a solid entry, <laughs> Jay Burnham. How can people find you uh, on social media? At Burnham underscore Jay on Twitter. You'll probably get a lot of um, left-leaning political talk, so follow at your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> and a few things about the UMass Minutemen. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you're going to get health care if you like it or not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Who who knows? The, oh, the, man. This is 2020. I don't take anything for granted anymore. Jay, I, I can't tell you how much your relationship has meant to me professionally, personally. I know we don't talk as much as the, either of us would like because you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. Proud to know you. Glad to know you. Uh, thank you for coming on to this show. Thank you for being somebody to kind of lean on in my, in my career and, and in my life. Thank you for coming on today again all right brother well thank you and uh hopefully i i mean i doubt anybody listened through this entirely but if they did godspeed and uh feel free to contact me if i can ever be of service thanks for listening to the say the damn score podcast remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of say the score.com also please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice and remember itunes reviews And remember, Apple Podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps me to make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests, and in this case, guest hosts of the show, so they know that you appreciate what they're doing, sharing their stories on this podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score. Just a little bit more.